well met travelers and welcome to the kinky tavern pull up a stool what do you have to drink here we're going to talk about different aspects of kink leather the BDSM community relationships within it and so much more all opinions voiced in this podcast are just that opinions and they should not be taken as fact or medical advice. If you are under 18 years of age, please ask a parent or guardian if you can listen to an educational podcast about BDSM and make sure they are willing to talk to you about the things you might hear. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you Hi, I'm Ms. Dizzy. And I'm Pup Rucker. And today we're interviewing Andrew Gerza, Chief Disability Officer of Bumpin', a sex toy company for people with disabilities, focusing on people with disabilities, rather, and a disability awareness consultant. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much for being here. Such um, a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you want to get into before we get into questions? Uh, no, I guess I can. I'll just give a brief introduction of myself, I guess, because I'm yeah. so used to that. Uh, hi, my name is Andrew Gerza. I'm a disabled 37 year old, uh, queer wheelchair using person, and I am a disability awareness consultant, as you said. And I'm also a the chief disability officer of a sex tech company called Bumpin' and a, an award winning podcaster, and a whole bunch of other stuff I can get into porn star, all these things. But this is who I am. Oh. I didn't know about that. That's awesome. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it yet. So. <laughs> I can send you a video if you really want to see it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Very cool. Yeah, we're into it. <laughs> awesome. I cannot believe, just for a second here, I cannot believe you're 37. You do not look 37. That's crazy. Oh, uh, well, thank you. The young, the young 20-year-old of me is... Showing through. So our first question here, it's kind of quirky. So I'm ready. <laughs> you can ask it. You can ask it. Okay. <laughs> so you walk into the Kinky Tavern, that's the name of our podcast, right? And you see a menu with all the kinks you could ever imagine listed. What do you order? Well, first off, I'm not walking into any tavern, so <laughs> I, w- I would be rolling into the tavern with my wheelchair. But yes, I get your point. I, I would roll into the Kinky Tavern and what's on my menu? Um... That's a great question. If I'm really gonna if I'm really gonna go real blue right away as soon as we start, I would say eating ass is my favorite thing to do. So that's I mean, I would put that right front and center. Um okay. and then a lot of intimacy and just connection with somebody. And like I I'm not the kind of person when I engage in sexuality because of my disability, and I think directly related to the fact that I'm disabled and I require so much help to get in and out of bed, to get positioned. I really have to put a lot of trust in the people that I fuck. So I need to have a really good relationship and we're with them before we do anything because I'll be relying on them. So I think, yeah, ass eating will be right front and center. But really in quick succession with that, I would say also like just intimacy and connection is really, really important. And then making out is like key. If you don't do that, why are we even have? Why are we even right. or hooking up or any kind of sexual? If you don't do that, for me, it's not fun anyway. Right. 
Well, I absolutely understand that. I, I'm also demisexual and it's not necessarily that I need so much physical help, but more my insecurities, I feel, um, I, to trust someone to be naked in front of them, to be able to communicate and say, Hey, that hurts my hip. Can you, can we do this? Or, you know, something like that. So I totally understand needing that trust and intimacy with a partner. Yeah. It's really, it's really something that I need. And the more and more I have sex, I don't have that. Like I've tried one night stands. I've tried all that stuff. And I've done that in the past. And that was fun when I was like in my 20s. But I'm like in my mid 30s now where it's like, you know what? I want to get to know somebody. If I'm going to do this stuff with you, I want you to be a part of my life more than just like, thanks for the shag. See you later. Like I'm not. That's not something that I really want to do anymore. I do when I was younger, but not so much anymore. Absolutely. And I think. Unfortunately, it seems, and this is from a totally outside perspective, obviously, I'm non-binary, but I'm not mask really in any way, so I don't know, but it seems like the queer male culture tends to be very hookup-based. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would completely agree. I'm also non-binary. I just came out as non-binary, I think, oh. earlier this oh. year, so like I have oh. always been, but I've been using they and he pronouns, so, like I'm exploring what that feels like for me, and so, yeah, the whole mask queer hookup culture like it pains me to say that i think masculine men are really hot and they turn me on but i also am really annoyed by the culture that we've created where if you're not working out all the time and if you're not super like butch and if you're not all these things that somehow your sexuality and your desire is not as valid and i just have a real problem with that and so i think that like as much as it would turn me on so much to be like carried into bed by hot firemen like that's great but also like that's not realistic and so like i wish our community would look at other bodies like the queer male community would look at other bodies and bodies that don't fit this very tight definition of what it is to be a queer masculine man because i don't fit that and that's part of the reason why i started using they and he pronouns because i was like my disability doesn't allow me to fit into this really defined narrative that you've set out for, the, for us and i refuse to and i tried for years and years to be like super butch super masculine super like broy about shit and that was never me i'm also somebody that likes to like dress up and be weird and be you know put on lipstick and nail polish and wear dresses like i, li- I like to do all that but our queer male culture doesn't allow that unless you know, we're talking specifically about drag race and I don't like, you know, I think we need to be really, we're so myopic in the way we look at this stuff and we have to open it up. And my disability is a gift because it's allowed me to, 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 to say, fuck all those norms. I'm going to do something else entirely different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so cool. That's one thing that through, um, I haven't done a whole lot of research. I apologize. I didn't realize you were going by they, he now. Oh, that's um, okay. It's a new thing for me. Don't worry. And, I, and he is fine. Like, it's not it's something that I'm going to be like, oh, no, I don't like this. It's fine. <laughs> it's totally an, ex- it's an exploration piece for me. So don't worry. Absolutely. And I think that's so cool. And I think just watching the reason I think I look up to you so much and you inspired me so much. And I'm so excited to be having this interview with you. Oh, yeah. Because you've said, fuck what you think. Yeah. I'm me. I'm not going to fit into your little box. So fuck that box. I'm going to go you know, make my own art, make my own life. Very punk I mean, rock. <laughs> yeah, very punk rock. <laughs> I mean, the irony of all that too is that like, I do care. I am, I'm, I very much care what people think and I very much care how I'm perceived. And I've been in 
situations where the internet has torn me down for stuff I've said. And so like it it can be a really it's the wild west out there really when you start talking about these kind of taboo things. And so well, my public persona is very much like, fuck all these haters, I'm gonna do my whatever. Deep inside, I'm just like, oh no, how do I <laughs> like I don't want anybody left to like me? How do I do this? I totally get that. I I was actually kind of scared to touch on this topic because even though I am disabled, I'm not everybody with a disability. I don't have any way to speak for everybody in the community. And I don't really have a way to speak without knowing that I'm not going to piss somebody off, you know? And that's scary, especially on the topic of disability and sexuality. Oh, it's really, it's so hard because everybody, especially like if we just take out sexuality for a minute, we just talk disability. There are so many different language pieces and ways to say it and ways people like to be perceived, which is all fine. And I respect everybody's right to have their own view. But also I think in the disability community, we can be really divisive towards one another and we can be really cruel to one another when we're trying to learn and when we're trying to grow and, and have conversations. And so I, particularly when talking about like the rift between disabled and non-disabled communities, I can't lead to this from places of understanding as opposed to like me as a disabled person with clout in the community saying like, fuck you, you're an ableist because you said no, 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 no. I don't think that that's a really smart way forward. I think we have never a responsibility, but an opportunity to make change by letting someone voice maybe an ableist or ignorant opinion, let them say what it is for honestly. And then you have the opportunity, never the obligation, but the opportunity to say like, hey, that thing you said, I I understand why you might have felt that way, or I don't understand why you might have felt that way. It hurt me. Can we talk about it together? As opposed to like, in our internet culture in 2021, if somebody makes a comment that is not fully understood and they put it out there on a social media platform, and I've done this multiple times, where you put out a thought that you just want to put it out there and be done with it, if you don't carefully craft exactly what you're meaning to say, somebody will come after you and be like, fuck you, how dare you? And I just think that's so unfortunate because wouldn't you rather use your... I would rather use my experience as a disabled person to guide somebody, to give somebody that knowledge base where they feel like, okay, Andrew's not shaming me. Andrew's not hurting, not saying mean things. Mm -hmm. He genuinely wants to talk to me about this. That's the space that I like the most. And I feel like in particularly the disability space, we're not there yet. We're very much in a space right now. And I'll be quite blunt about this. We're, we're in a, in a, in a, we're in an echo chamber right now of like, Disabled people are angry. They've been through a lot of oppression. They've been through a lot of shit and they have a right to be angry. But I think at the same time, I think there's, you need to find a way through and forward. And if you just keep mulling over the same anger over and over and over again, you're not actually going to feel better. You're just going to keep rehashing the same problem. So my way through is why don't I use my platform to give you some education? And I love that. I think that's great. Because the second you are like, that was ableist or that was that was a horrible comment or something, they're going to get defensive. Mm -hmm. And that's the least of what I've seen. The divisive, cruel nitpicking at language. That's the least. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've seen about it. It it goes from like, you know, the language we use for each other, like how, you know, just talk about the word handicapped for a minute and see how quickly the community will tear it down. Like, well, that's a word from hundreds of years ago and blah, 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 blah. 
and it's like okay but so, or you know my mom for instance and i love her and she's my biggest supporter but but when she was raising me when she's growing up with me the language she had in the 80s to to understand disability was special needs yeah and that's what and still to this day that's what she refers to the disability it's like and i and at one point in my journey i i would say to her like that's offensive you can't and then she said why am i hurting you by saying it like i wasn't trying to hurt you so now what i do when somebody uses language that i wouldn't use like for instance handy capable or you know special needs or language that i just i that i know is not current i will listen to what they say after and before they use that language are they trying to hurt me if not then i'm not going to come at you with a whole bunch of daggers i'm going to say okay like i'm not, i'm going to let them finish their sentence and say what they're going to say and I'd say cool do you think that we could maybe use disabled or disability or this language but that depends on the context of what they're saying, also who who they are, also the time of day. Like, do I have the energy? Like, I think that disabled people have a right to be angry, but I think a lot of the anger is becoming more and more misplaced because they're finding every excuse to be like, well, this person said one ableist thing, and so they're a horrible monster. No, they're just trying to learn. Right. And I think that you know, I did the thing a couple of years ago when I was starting out my journey of being a consultant and doing what I do of like parroting what I saw on social media, which is like, oh, yeah, so-and-so's enable us. And that was cool because, yeah, it got me some follows and got me some likes and it was great, but it didn't make me feel good. It made me feel like I'm, I'm, cl- I'm shutting out a potential ally. Well, why would I do that? Right. Absolutely. And it, it does make... <sighs> It shouldn't when disabled, when someone who's disabled gets angry at something like that, it should not change the way the recipient of the anger may in turn now view people with disabilities in a less positive light. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. Oh, but it does. I've had people, I've I've said to able-bodied friends of mine who have made mistakes about disability language and I've asked them like bluntly, like, Hey, so if somebody was to call you out on that, how do you feel about when the community says, xyz about you know you learning and he he said to me i don't want to i don't want to learn because if they're going to yell at me why would i why would i learn and that's sad i think that it should be i think the whole culture should be about learning and about teaching one another about helping one another especially yeah Yeah. speaking of um have you had much experience with the kink community specifically um, not in terms of like going to munges and doing dungeons and that kind of stuff, but I have done workshops on kink and, and being a cripple. And I've done workshops on, um, like wearing a harness and what that means for me. Um, I've done that kind of stuff. And I've, I've, I have, I like wearing harnesses. I like pup play. I like, um, one of the, the people that I spend time with, we have like a, a brother type role play thing we do. Like I, I like getting into that kind of stuff and exploring that. Um, mm-hmm. My kink is not as physical as, as a lot of people's kink is. It's more like intellectual. It's more yeah. like yeah. nicknames and, and scenes and scenarios and, and playing that stuff out as opposed to like, I'm going to flog you and whip you and all those things. Like my kinks are not as, are not as physical. They're much more intellectual. 
Right. Absolutely. And I love that about kink because when I became disabled, when I was became unable to do some of those things for, and I can still flog, I can still spank, but I can't do it for as long or for, you know, I can't do it as hard. So I have had to switch the way I did kink and do it more psychologically. Um, and so I really respect that. I think that's really cool that you can, I just love the way that humans can make their brains work with sex and stuff. I think it's so interesting. Yeah, it is. I'm it's a little really, bit of a nerd. <laughs> well, that's good. We need more nerds in this, in this <laughs> part of the internet for sure. So that's good. <laughs> Have you found, I know you said you weren't really, um, going to munches or anything, but you've interacted a little bit, at least online with the kink community, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I'm friends with uh, what's this, the the what's the safe word guys. We're friends. We've done stuff. With, I've done stuff with them, like not physically. And believe me, if I if I get to be in the room with either of them, I would fall apart and die. Uh, oh, but me too. Trust me. <laughs> that needs to be a porn now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> get with I mean, them on that. <laughs> Daddy Christopher and I could. There are things that need to happen. Uh, <laughs> but I'm like, I've, I've had both pop. I've had both pop amp and him on my show. Like and we've we yeah. I did a whole hour with uh Daddy Chris for a couple a couple I think about a year and a half ago where we literally just flirted for an hour on the oh, podcast. That's amazing. I need to find that. And I'll I'll find you the episode and I'll link you to it. But it was so we just they're really sweet and so like yeah. but I've also done stuff where I've done pup play, like I've mm-hmm. had a friend bring me a puppy hood and I tried that on. Like I'm very open to exploring again and it has to be with the right people and under the right circumstances. Otherwise mm-hmm. like because I can't easily put myself in a harness. I can't easily put right. myself in, you know, the physical aspects. But I can put myself in a mental headspace to explore kink. And if I want to be submissive, I can easily turn that on. If I want to be dominant, I can easily turn that on. Not so, Again, not so much physically, but through my language and through my words, I can do that. So I think kink for me, like I said, is a lot more intellectual and a lot mm-hmm. more emotional than it is a physical act. I will say I've seen the pictures of you in your harness. Sexy. Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> I know you, you don't care what I think because I'm a <laughs> I'm a femme person, but sexy. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate any compliments on that because I, you know, I'm very subconscious of my own body because of disability and all those things. So I, get I appreciate it. You do look hot as fuck <laughs> in that harness, by the way. <laughs> I much appreciate that. Thank you. Has your activism ever included talking? Well, you said you had, you kind of answered that earlier. Talking about kink was my question. Um, but you kind of answered earlier. You said you'd had some. Yeah, I mean, I do. I talk about kink. I talk about the importance of my harness. I talk about why I have the word queer cripple on my chest and why I have like a leather guy in a wheelchair tattooed on my chest. Um, and I do that those, those things because in the moments where I can't wear a harness or I can't have somebody, you know, put me in kink gear. Mm-hmm. I can still be like, look, this is me being kinky. This is my way of expressing my sexuality, my disability and all those things that go together. That's awesome. I like that. I, I didn't realize that was why, but that's really cool. You're kind of literally labeling yourself. Yeah. 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 It's a way for me to change the game. I mean, queer cripple, I put that on my chest just in simple writing. Like this is not, stylized and it wasn't super fancy because for him to stylize it it was way more expensive than I, yeah. I was like ah. but but um i did that so that whenever i'm with somebody sexually and, and we're hooking up 
they have to look at my body and they have to see the words queer cripple on my chest and grapple with that as we're getting into it. So they have to get over the fact that, I, yes, I'm disabled. Yes, I'm queer. Yes, I call myself a cripple. Like I, I did that very intentionally to be like, I don't care what you think. This is my way of reclaiming this for okay. myself. And I'm going to do it through a tattoo. That way, I can, that way, even I have to look down at my chest and, and, and deal with that. So I think it was a really, it was a fun thing initially. But then I was like, oh, this is an important piece of who I am. I think that's awesome. I think that's so cool. Yeah. I really do. I love that you are taking back not only the queer aspect, but the cripple aspect. That's something I haven't seen yeah. outside of your, your act. Oh, well, th- well, thank you. I mean, a lot of people in the disability community, they use the word crip. Uh-huh. They'll say like cripping up sexuality or cripping up this. For me, I like, I like to use the whole word because yeah. the whole word is or was at one point offensive. So I was yeah. like, I don't want to shorten it and make it crip. I want to use the whole thing to be like, fuck, who, fuck whoever thinks whatever. Like I have, I have queer friends who use who have the word faggot on their bodies to be like, it's this isn't who I am. This is like, I'm gonna reclaim this horrible thing, this horrible language that has been used to hurt us. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna reclaim it. And so that's what kind of what cripple is for me, of being like, but it's also a way of me saying I know who I am. I know that my body is a trash fire sometimes. I know that I can't do certain things. I know that I'm unable to do X, Y, Z. Here's me owning that and saying I'm still fuckable. I'm right here. Like, that's my way of owning that to the world. I love that. That's fantastic. And I think that using cripple rather than crip or another, you know, similar word, it just has more weight because as you said, that was a sincere, that was a severe insult at one point. Yeah. I love that you have it on your body so people have to face that and confront that when they see you. That's yeah. Like, I've never thought about that. That's almost like a type of, uh, I don't know what kind of play. Like a, like a psychological play. Yeah, it's a psychological in. play in itself, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's right above my left nipple, and I did it yeah. deliberately so that if you're going to, like, suck on my nipples, you have to look at that. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the chest is such a you know, it's such a vulnerable part of our body. You have to look at that when you, if you're going to get with me, you have to, and then on this side of my chest, I have, you know, a leather guy in a wheelchair. And I did that very deliberately because I was seeing a lot of um, Tom of Finland type stuff. And I was like, I love their, I love the artwork, but I've never seen a Tom of Finland muscle guy in a wheelchair. So I went to my favorite tattoo artist and I was like, can you take this Tom of Finland idea and put him in a power chair? And he was like, I don't think I've ever seen that. And I was like, exactly my point. Can you like, can you, can you make that for me, please? And That's so he did, he came up with it just for me from a, from, he took like a Tom of Finland idea and, and transformed something. And I was like, I want, I need that as a tattoo. And like, so all the tattoos in my body have something to do with disability because it's a way of me not only reclaiming, but also when I'm having a day where I'm like, my disability fucking sucks today and I don't like it and I hate this and fuck off. I can look at the stuff on my body and be like, okay, y- even though you're mad right now, you can't run away from the fact that you're a disabled person. Look, it's all over your body. Like <laughs> you, you have to focus on it. It's permanent now. You tattooed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. I really want to see, I really want that tattoo now. <laughs> the Tom of Finland with the wheelchair. That's fantastic. It was really cool when he made it. It was like and her like a bitch too but i was like i don't care it's great do it it's worth it yeah. oh fantastic 
Do you have ideas of ways that like an everyday person can help with your activism, help with your your goal just in their everyday life? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, everyone can be ableist. Every single person, you, me, the, like anyone listening mm-hmm. can be and will be at some point in their life will say an ableist thing. They'll make a joke about Donald Trump. They'll make a joke about someone's body. They'll make a joke about someone's you know mental state they'll say things like what are you deaf like that's an ableist thing we all say and didn't realize it was ableist until like recently like they'll say anyone can do it so the way to be the best ally is to be gentle with yourself when that happens don't oh my god i said such an ableist thing i have to like oh no like okay don't do that because then what happens especially don't do that in front of another disabled person because then what you're doing is you're making it about you and how sorry you are that you made a mistake. Much like how we're saying in the trans and non-binary community right now, of like, hey, if you misgender me or use the wrong pronouns, like, apologize once and move on. The same thing should be for, I think, and this is only my opinion, I'm only one disabled person, but I think it should be the same for disabled people. So, like, if you use language that we've already talked about and I asked you not to use or or somebody asked you not to use and you do instead of being like oh my god I'm so sorry do like oh let me let me correct I'll use whatever you said and we'll move on also I think that the way to be a good the way to help with my activism and other disability activism is to recognize that allyship is earned you can't just say I'm an ally for this community how the fuck do I know? Where where are the receipts of you putting in the time, doing the work, making mistakes, stumbling? So I I constantly say on my platforms, allyship is earned, not appointed. So you have to put in the work. And I think putting in the work means recognizing what's uncomfortable about disability for you. I, w- I wish that more non-disabled people would feel safe and comfortable to sit with a disabled person in a safe and comfy space. And say, you know what, you being, you needing help to go to the bathroom scares me. You needing help to get dressed, I want to help you, but I'm terrified how to do that. You needing a wheelchair makes me uncomfortable because I don't know how to be around you. Like, I think a lot of people have these feelings, but because we've been taught that it's not polite to, to voice them, what happens is we're not voicing them. We're having them and we feel them, but we're not given a space to say, I feel this. And then as we talked about earlier, if you bring if you bring that to the disabled community in a comment or something, in my opinion, rather than listening, that it's fun online to be like, oh, and we're gonna tear this person down for being a huge ableist. Like that doesn't get any that doesn't move things forward. And I think that people need spaces to be uncomfortable in a way that is safe where they can voice their discomfort without me jumping down their throats about saying an ableist thing. I absolutely agree with that. I think that's super important in the community, in any community, you know, like you said, it goes into the misgendering and the, you know, stuff like that. It just takes, you know, correcting yourself and moving on and people not berating you for it, you know? And I think there are degrees. If I've asked you three times to please use X and you continue to to like jokingly use the thing that I asked you not to, that's different. But if you're genuine, if you're genuinely trying to learn and you slip up or also I think, I think learning this stuff is context dependent too. We have to consider 
where they are, where they've come from, what their journey is. Like, I don't think that labeling every single person an ableist is helpful. And I see a lot of disability community members doing that to get clout and to get membership within disability communities. And, and they don't like when I say this, but I don't care. Like, I think that's a problem. Like, it's every single able-bodied person is not an ableist. They can be ableist, but they're not a bad person. And I always say, like, ableism doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you have stuff to work on. Just like racism doesn't make all of us a bad people. We all have stuff to work on. Right. And if we would just go from that place of love, I think we would get a lot farther than we are. I absolutely agree. Absolutely yeah. agree with that. Is there any advice that you might give to specifically a play space that's wanting to become more accessible? Yeah. Hire disabled people before you hold an event. Hire and pay them. Don't let them volunteer. And no, I'm going to pay them money, real money, to come mm -hmm. and do a, a walkthrough for you at your event. And, you know, ask tough questions like, will this be accessible? Would this work for you? What can we do to make it work for you? If you can't get into like, I'll use a dungeon as the example. If you can't get into a dungeon or a play space, how can we, you know, bring something, bring some of that to you if you can't get there? Even if our, even if our place is not entirely 100% accessible, can we rent ramps? Can we get volunteers? Can we, what can we do to make it accessible for you? Can we do something digitally? I mean, in the in the world of the pandemic, everybody can do everything on Zoom now. Right. You can have, as, as long as Zoom doesn't ban you for too much sexy content, which they often do. But if you can find a way around that, like there are spaces where you can do kink events virtually. But I think bringing someone in and having them do a walkthrough to learn about how to make a space more accessible or you know, because we've talked about how not one disabled person can't speak for all of them, bring in a team of three and four disabled people and pay them and say, listen, we want to do better for this next kink event. What are we missing here? What can we do? Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. I hadn't thought about yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't, I wouldn't have even thought of that. Oh. I also understand that so many kink events don't have a lot of money because they're niche and they're not, it's hard. But I also think like we have crowdfunding. We have, there are ways to raise funds quick to get stuff. Um, I, you know, I, I, I feel bad for the, the queer male community because we have all these events for HIV and AIDS and we have all these events for awareness and we, they raise tons of money for all these organizations. Why aren't we holding the same kind of events at kink spaces and at gay bars for accessibility, for ramps in clubs, for buttons in clubs, for elevators in clubs? Why aren't we having go go boys dance on boxes to you know promote accessibility at a club? Why aren't we like doing that? I would put you know a dollar down some guy's g string to get money to build a ramp at one of the clubs. Like I think it would be so fun if the community would do that, but I don't think they do because they're we're afraid of disability and we're afraid to talk about it. And I think it's definitely it's unfortunately up to people like oh, us to change that. Yeah. It should not be a responsibility, mm -hmm. but it's kind of become we're the only people that's going to change that is the people that are disabled or or who are allies and very understanding and can use their voices to say, hey, we need to change this. This is not OK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that I mean, can be. <coughs> sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. no. I've talked way too much. No, you're no. fine. You're fine. 
the main thing I want to try and do is like normalize kink in itself and just have the community be, it's already open and accepting, but have it be more open and accepting and available for everyone, not just like regular kinksters, but everyone, people with disabilities, vanilla people, everyone. So there's that, so it's out there and it's normalized and everyone can have access to it if they want to. Yeah. And that, I think, you know, that was the, that was what they, what they had tried to do when they initially started, but much with everything, yeah. white cis dudes took it over and then uh, there you it's go. that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they tend to do that. <laughs> Sorry. They're kind of the worst. <laughs> well, not you specifically. <laughs> we did have a few questions from one of our listeners, if you're okay with Sure. Of course. When should you tell the person that you're seeing that you have a disability? Hmm, that's a really personal choice. Okay. I think it depends on context. I think it depends on how comfy you are with them. If it were me, like, I would, because my disability is visible and invisible, I have visible disabilities and invisible ones, mm-hmm. I tell them up front, like, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. Like, I'm in a wheelchair. Here's my deal. If you go on my scruff profile or any, like, kink profile that I have right now, it's probably something to do with my fat joystick or my big, you know, my big cryptic or something like that. Because I don't shy away from that. So for me, I, I say I say it right up front and make it very clear that I have a disability. But I think for each person, depending on what you want to do and depending on how much trust you have in the other, I can't I can't say do it right away. I can say like whatever feels good for you. And I don't think there's a wrong way to come out of a disability. But I think for me personally, doing it up front and doing it right away and doing it with a little bit of a cheek and a smile is it takes away a lot of the anxiety of like, will they be okay with this? Because if I make a cheek and a smile about the fact that I'm disabled and, and they don't respond in kind, then I'm like, oh, I guess I won't fuck you. But right. like, they also see that this isn't a part of, this, this isn't something that I shy away from. And they see through my humor that like, they can make, I want, if I'm with a lover, I want them to make fun of the fact that I'm disabled. I want us to play with the fact that I can't walk. Like, that doesn't, for me personally, that doesn't, scare me that doesn't make me uncomfortable in fact that makes me that almost turns me on more because i'm like oh you see me now you understand that like this is a part of who i am and you can play with that if you i think that if you can't play with it and find the humor in some of the hard shit then what are we even doing but i think for each person with a disability it really depends on on how they feel in the moment absolutely I agree. I'm kind of the kind of person that I'm upfront with everything. I'm very open. I'm basically an open book. You can't, you can't embarrass me with one of my secrets because I don't have one. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally understand that. I, I would understand being a little more covert about it, but mm. I think it's just easier. You know, I take the easy path. I'm lazy. Yeah. Just get it all out there. <laughs> I'm also really lazy when it comes to my disability, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm just going to tell you because like. I would rather tell you before I'm knee deep in your crotch and you're like, oh, uh, you're disabled. This is too weird for me. I got to go like like because that's happened to me, too, where I, you know, I remember a time when I was in college and I, I met a guy for a hookup at like 2 a.m. We we're going to fuck. And I didn't say um, I'm in a wheelchair. I just said, come over and let's fuck. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're so hot. Let's mess around. I was like, OK. So we he, he got in. He came to my dorm and he saw me in my chair. And his face went white and he turned around and he walked away. And I was like, well, I guess I shouldn't, I guess I should just tell people. 
And so from that moment on, like I've been very, I don't want to have that kind of heartbreak again. It was horrible to be like, oh, you're going to just leave. All right, great. And so like I just tell people now because I'd rather get it out of the way. And if you can't deal with that, like, like then that's fine. You have stuff to work on. But I think the hardest part about coming out about having a disability during sex is when, especially in the queer male community, and that's the only one that I can really speak to, but I've seen queer men say, I'll say, oh, I'm in a wheelchair. Is that a problem for you? And they'll say, oh, yeah, no problem. No big deal. It's okay. And then when they get to my place later that night to fuck or do whatever we're going to do, they all of a sudden realized that I wasn't lying about being disabled, that I really genuinely needed help, that I needed real assistance, that I have complex disabilities. And it's more than just Andrew's in a wheelchair. It's Andrew needs help. Andrew needs to get undressed. Andrew needs to be positioned. Andrew's like, and they don't realize the extent of my disability. And then they go, oh, I didn't realize you were that disabled. Uh, I guess. So, like, so, so like, I, I wish that people would say, like, I'm okay with you being in a wheelchair from a from a, a theoretical standpoint. Like, I understand that that's okay, but I've never experienced this before. So I don't know how I'm going to react to you needing... No, 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 no. I wish they would they would lay it out because I think that a lot of people are afraid. And I, like I had one guy, and I've told this story before, I'll tell again because it's funny. I had one guy, we hooked up and we had we went for we went, had a date, had burgers, had a laugh. We were hitting it off really well. And we had talked on the apps like a couple of days before. And we finally had the dinner and we came back to my place to hook up. And so when we were hooking up, it wasn't great. He didn't turn me on to them lots. But I was like, okay, we're here. Let's just go. And so he, we, we finished. It wasn't great. Didn't really enjoy myself. But I figured, oh, he's a nice guy. Maybe we'll see each other again sometime. And so he, four days later, I get a text that's like, hi, I just wanted to say hi. And I was like, okay. I, I know where this is going. All right, hi. And he goes, um, I don't think we should see each other anymore because you're not as independent as I need you to be in the bedroom. And I was like, okay, okay. And he goes, also, you remind me of my dead, my dead friend who was also in a wheelchair. And I was like, cool. None of those things did you have to tell me. All you had to say was, we had a good, we had a good time. I don't think it's going to work out. Like, thanks so much. And I would be like, cool, no problem. Um, But why did you feel the need to tell me that my disability got in your way? Like, so frustrating. But that's, again, because people don't feel like they can talk about it. So they have all, all these feelings swirling around that no one's given them permission to speak about because mm-hmm. they're stuck in the idea that if you say something bad about a disabled person, you're a horrible person. So they're not being given space to like talk feelings out. And they really should be. like They need a space to voice that fear. Absolutely. What he was saying was, really, what he was saying was like, I haven't been with this person as disabled as you. Like, that was different for me. And if he had been given space to, to talk about that with me, then maybe we would have been okay. Right. Have you found that the queer community is more accepting or less accepting than <laughs> oh, uh, In my dreams, I wish they were more accepting. In, my, in the reality, they're really not. It's been, a really, it's been a really hard slog for me. I'm 37 and I haven't been on a second date ever. Like, I don't know what the, that looks like. I don't, I haven't spent enough time with somebody to be like, I think we're seeing each other now. For like, like the, the longest relationship I've had is with my sex worker, who's great and amazing. And I 
I care about him, but we're not in a relationship. Like we're not, yeah. we're, it's a transactional thing. I give you money so that I can get great sex. Like that we're not in a relationship in the traditional sense at all. So like, I, I think the queer community has a lot of ableism to work through. They have a lot of body shame to work through. They have all of these things to work through that they're not doing because we're just in a place, especially in the States, like we're just at a place where you can say I'm gay and there's no problem. Like we're right. just there now. 20 years ago, we weren't even close to there. Now, like gay marriage is legal pretty much everywhere mm -hmm. and it's good to go. But when I was coming up as a teenager, like that was not even a, a discussion to have. Right. Have you found that the kink community is more accepting or no? Also, no. I find the kink community to be, they can be more accepting mentally. I think physically for munches and dungeons and parties and stuff like that, it's so hard to find space, period. Yeah. Even before you tack on disability. That yeah. The minute I say I need accessibility requirements, they're like, oh, well, fuck, we don't know what to do. Um, but I think the mentality of the kink space is a lot more open. They're willing to have conversations about disability. They're willing to, to talk about disability. I think if we're talking specifically about the queer male community and not kink, we have a long fucking way to go there because it's still the the archetype is the white cis muscular dude with a huge dick and willing to fuck. Which again, if that person's out there, I want to fuck you. Let's go. But also like <laughs> that. The, I'm the as I get older, you know, I'm I'm looking more for somebody who isn't any of those things mm -hmm. and is completely different. And right. and so I'm not sure if that really answers the question. But no, I don't think that either of the spaces are are more or less accepting. I think they have a lot of work to do. I completely agree. Yeah. I think and this is just my experience, I think that in our community that we are part of, the kink community that we're part of in our area is a lot more accepting and open, it seems, in a lot of ways yeah. than some of the others I've heard of. Yeah. Um, we're part of a femdom group, so it's definitely not led by the cis, straight, white male. Oh, nice. Good. So I, I we're a little bit spoiled in that way. <laughs> but I feel like our community, at the very least, is very open, and we do have those conversations, and we're willing mm -hmm. to have those conversations. And I think that's really important. But again, I'm not... You know, I can only speak for the community we're part of, you know. Yeah. And what part of the states are you guys in again? Uh, uh, we're Midwest, in, yeah, Kansas. we're in Wichita, Kansas. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I've never been there. All I know from there is tornadoes happen there a lot. That's <laughs> all I know. Yeah. They do indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, it's a pretty small community, but yeah, it's also, it's larger than you would think for our area, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's very intimate and it's very open and accepting and I really like it. Nice, it's good. Yeah. We're very proud of it. <laughs> yeah, we are pretty proud of it. We we are admins, we run an event, and we, um, yeah. they're really supportive of our podcast, which is oh, yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Oh, nice, fantastic. Well, if ever, if ever you do an event virtually or in person and you need a speaker, I also do that a lot. So, oh, yeah. Okay. We do awesome. If ever money, if ever money is a thing and like, Again, I, I do stuff for free because I value stuff. So if ever like things happen, let me know. I'm, I'm I can show up on a Zoom and talk about that. That'd be awesome. That would be great. Hell yeah! We'll definitely bring you up to oh, yeah. our. Uh, we're not the top dogs, but we'll no. bring you up to the top dogs. We're up there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Tell them 
tell them I charge a million dollars. No, no. One million. <laughs> One million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic question. Okay, I'm ready. If someone has a cognitive disability, is there something you should look for when looking for consent? I think don't agree with how they said it, I but I, I understand why they said it. I understand where it comes from. And I don't think that we, I think the way we look for consent is with every person, whether they have a cognitive disability or not, it's different how people say yes to consent. And consent, as we know, is a fluid practice that can change from one minute to the next. So I think, and I, I'm not a person with a cognitive disability, so I don't want to speak too much on this because I'm not an expert, nor am I a person living that experience. Um, I know, that's my so, problem too. Yeah. So I'll very briefly say, as long as they can understand yes and no, like, and as long as you're sure they under, they have a trust with you, then check in with them constantly if you have to. Like, But you re- would really have to sit down with that person and perhaps their support team or their family or, or mm-hmm. you know, or them, who, whoever it is, but people who are with them every day to understand, like, what consent looks like for them and how they process those things. But to put it so bluntly as to ask, like, what's an IQ? I don't like that at all. That makes me cringe a little bit because yeah. that's, that's really it's super that that and again this person is learning and I, if you're listening person i don't not saying you're bad i'm saying we need to reframe that so what maybe the way to ask that is much like what you said miss izzy is like how do you how do you gain consent from somebody who may have a cognitive disability the same way you would with somebody who doesn't have a cognitive disability it might have different steps and it might be a little bit slower and it might be more it might be more um, involved than just yes or no, but the same way you would with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Make sure that they're okay with it, and if they're not okay with it at any point, you stop, mm-hmm. as we as we would with any consent-based anything. So, like, if they're okay with kissing, great. If they're okay with the next thing, great. But if at any point they say stop, you stop, and you check in and make sure they're all right. If they're not all right, then, we're, then it's over. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And I love the way you rephrased that. You could tell that the person was trying to learn. And so like, I, if you're listening person, I don't, I hope you learned. And I, if you want to talk more about it, I can, I can, I know some people who do stuff with cognitively disabled people and I can direct you to them. That'd oh, be sweet. really cool. Yeah. I, any resources, links, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm just starting, like I just found you a couple weeks ago. And since then, I've just been on this journey of YouTube rabbit holes and podcasts and Insta Insta influencers and stuff like that. I think we've watched every video of you on YouTube. Yeah, I think we've watched every video that you have on YouTube. Well, then I'm about to send you two that you have not watched. Oh, (laughs) they're not on YouTube. But thank you. But I know I appreciate that. Um, And it's just so awesome to see someone advocating in (laughs) such a. You don't see people talk about disability and sexuality. And I think that that is so important because before I was disabled, I did work as a uh, care worker. Like I was, I was a supervisor and I was a care worker and just seeing the way that some of these care plans were set out specifically for people that I knew that they had more going on in there. And you want me to show them like Smurfs and kids movies? Yeah. Like, (laughs) 
No, if she can choose, she's going to choose, you know, saw. I literally had a client that like she, her mom had this big DVD set of kids movies and no, she liked it better if we brought over like (laughs) saw and, you know, houses of horror and stuff like that. Amazing. It was fantastic. And she would giggle at the gore scenes because she wasn't (laughs) verbal. And so it was just fantastic. It's awesome. But it broke my heart to see how the care plan and how her family and her, you know, safety, her team, her disability team just didn't recognize her the person that was in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it just really frustrated me. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to talk about this intersection because people don't sexualize disability. They don't think about it. And or if they, if they do sexualize disability, it's through the lens of abuse. The only way we talk about sex and disability publicly is, oh, if, you, if, you, if someone you're working with has a cognitive disability, they could be at higher risk of abuse. Mm-hmm. They could be at higher risk of sexual assault. They could yeah. be. And all of those things are true. Absolutely. That's, that's not untrue. However, there's a whole other side to that around pleasure and joy and intimacy and love and all these things that disabled people are denied. Yeah. But if we want to talk about, you know, R-wording somebody for an hour with disabilities, no one has a problem with that. But the minute I bring up romance and disability, somebody is like, oh, no, we can't, we can't discuss yeah. that. And I think that's so ridiculous because for the long, like growing up, disabled people were kind of seen as, like you said before in videos, angelic. Like they can do no wrong. So why can't, if we're, if that's how we're seeing them as a society, why can't we then allow people with disabilities to have relationships and families and you know why don't we allow disabled people to be flawed right yeah who who are we who are we protecting them from who who are we saving them from they deserve to have their hearts broken they deserve to go through some pain i'm not saying like pain but they deserve to go through all of the things that everybody goes through they deserve to experience life Yeah. yeah Like a person, essentially, person. Like, like like a normal person does, yeah, you sports, know, sports yeah, because <laughs> they are a person. They deserve that experience. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have three final questions. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we? I no, I'm good. To, I'm good to dive right into those, and then I'll give okay. you my. I'll I'll tell people where they can reach me, and then I guess we're good. Perfect. That's my last question: is where people can find you. Awesome. Um, so I guess the first question I kind of already asked, is there any questions that you wish I'd asked you? No, no. I mean, is there, are there any questions that you wanted to ask me that you were too afraid to, that you didn't? The only one I can think of, you just called me out. The only one I can think of is, we're, do you think that we handled this well, as far as language and trying not to be offensive and... You know, do you think it went well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm going to turn it back on you two. Do you think it went well? What do you think? I feel like it I did. I feel did, yeah. I feel like we had a friendly conversation and we were just chilling and chatting. Yeah, I mean, I really think that the meat of unpacking ableism and unlearning ableism and learn, even learning about ableism and all that stuff is to sit in some of the discomfort. And so I don't think, I never, th- I never think that there are conversations around disability that are wrong. I think there are wrong ways to go about it, but I don't think right. that when most people are learning about disability and they say a wrong thing, I don't think it's wrong. I think that 
we as a disability community need to take a step back from the anger activism. And again, totally valid and totally, I totally respect it. But I just think that all we've done, not all of us, but a lot of us in the community, especially the ones online, we're mad. We're fucking pissed off because stuff doesn't work out for us. I get it. But at the same time, if that's all you talk about every single day is that you're mad about it, what are people going to see? They're going to see a mad disabled person. Yeah. There's and more to you than progress. that. Yeah. So I think this went well. I love conversations like this. Um, I know I'm, I was quite happy and honored to, when I heard my name, because I didn't know anything about your podcast until a few days ago. And then I saw my name pop up on your Twitter post. And I was like, uh oh, yeah, what, did someone, what did someone say about me? And so I, I clicked and I like scrolled through to the part where my name came up. And I was like, oh, cool. All right. They used me as like a resource. And so that's why I reached out right away. Because I was like, and I remember you were like, oh, no. Please don't sue us. Like, <laughs> and I, so I, I, I laughed. And I was like, well, that's adorable. I have to reach out to them now. And, like, <laughs> say, and, and say that I'll, I'll work with them. Because I think that, you know, I don't... It's hard for me to see myself as a resource. Because I, mean, I, I am one. But, like, I do my stuff in my bedroom. I do all my work from my house. And I usually am talking to the computer alone when, yeah. I'm, doing, when I'm doing a podcast. So I have no idea what I, if what I say is going to resonate if what I say is going to make someone angry, if what I say is going to make someone happy. And so when I get when I get people posting my name on stuff, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Is somebody out to get me? Like, what's... So when I, when I was pleasantly surprised to hear, like, oh, they liked what I... Okay, good. So that's why Loved I was like, what you said. Good. Please don't sue us for using it. <laughs> I thought that was really funny, and I laughed. And right away, I was like, yeah, I want to work with these guys and see if they're... and see if they want to have me on their show. I absolutely yeah. loved having you on. I'm, yeah. I've been kind of fangirling about it since you reached out to us. If I'm honest, just because <laughs> you're doing in in a little bit of a different aspect, you're not focusing on the kink as much, but you're doing a lot of what we want to do. Yeah. Um. I started. You know, the most of the podcast is not about disability, but I did the most recent podcast that you were featured on um, about disability because it's so prevalent and important. And people don't talk about it as much as they should. Um, and so well, I think it was. Really I'm glad you did it. And I think that you should do more episodes around disability. And like, yeah. maybe that could be like a mini series that you do on the show. Like my show, if you listen to my podcast, like my disability after dark started out as a sex podcast. Mm -hmm. And now I do different series on the show about like history. And I do different types of stuff on the platform. Cause I'm like, because I want to treat my podcast platform as a, as like a YouTube channel where like, you know, they have different shows on their channel and they can do different things. And I want to do that because I think it's fun. And I'm like, I don't want to start a whole new podcast to do, yeah to talk about different stuff. So I think it's fun to like, I do shows about history. I do shows uh -huh. about, I did a whole series about the pandemic and disability. Like I did, you know, so I think there's avenues for you to branch out the kinky tavern and do stuff that is you can still do kink but you could also call it just the tavern and talk about yeah. it like there are different things you can do and because podcasting is so new and so fresh right now and like nobody like it's still in that weird stage of like no one everyone has a podcast but like also no one podcast it's really weird yeah. um so like you could you could branch it out but i think it's really cool that you did the episode and i was honored to be a part of it so thank you oh thank you so much all right. Um, are there any books, podcasts, social media people, aside from yourself, 
that you think it's important for people to consume to see? Yeah, I would recommend that people follow my friend Rachel Rose on Twitter. Her name is is Hedonish on Twitter. So at H-E-D-O-N-I-S-H on Twitter. She does stuff around um, invisible disabilities and mast cell disabilities and kink and sexuality. And she's a good friend of mine. Uh, I'm trying to think who I know now. Ryan O'Connell on Instagram. Ryan O'Con, he he did the special show on Netflix. Like, we're friends. He's cool. Um, he doesn't do a lot of stuff on sex and disability, but he does stuff on, like, just being a gay, disabled person. And he posts stuff on Instagram, and he's on, like, TV, and he's writing shows and scripts about disability. He's cool. Um, I can't think of anybody else right now, but I know okay. there are others. But there, if you type in disability... On any social media platform, a bunch of activists will come up and you right. can pick and choose from there. I just figured I'd ask, you know, the, the specialist, the expert <laughs> who was best. <laughs> oh, there are there. Are, and again, it depends on the, on the flavor. Like, who do you like? It depends on. But there are so many of us out there trying to trying to do it. Absolutely. Awesome. And lastly, where can people find you online? Sure. They can follow me at andrewgerza.com. Um, and they can follow my my podcast, Disability After Dark, which has new episodes every Saturday and occasional bonus episodes of different series I like to do whenever I want to drop them, really. And then they can follow me on Instagram at andrewgerza underscore. And they can follow my new sex tech company called Bumpin at getbumpin. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. And you can follow all of our socials at Get Bumpin. Again, G E T B U M P N. Okay. Awesome. I just yeah. saw that post today when yeah. I was browsing through Instagram. I saw the new name change, and I think that's really awesome. Yeah. I've been excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Heard- the pre sales of our, I don't know when this will air, but the pre sales of our toy start December 3rd. So if anybody. Oh, wow. So, like, Prep yourself for some, we got some fun stuff coming down the pike there, and we're excited. All right, that wraps up our show for today. Thank you for Andrew Gerza for coming on and sharing his knowledge with us. You can find us on Twitter at The Kinky Tavern, Instagram at The Kinky Tavern, and FetLife at The Kinky Tavern. You can follow us individually at MDizzy on FetLife, and also Pup underscore Merlin underscore Wrecker on FetLife. And... We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much everywhere. So, I think that leaves us to our daddy joke for the evening. It's going to be another bad one. Who's the most popular guy at the nudist colony? The one who can carry a cup of coffee in each hand and a dozen donuts. <laughs>